But I want you to close your eyes. Now, we've just been in worship, and I want to take a little bit longer to just sit in that place of worship and contemplation. And just let me read this story to you as you sit there with Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a place, a village, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You may open your eyes this morning, but you know, that's an incredible story. And we could go home today right there and be blessed by just hearing a story of Jesus, a story of the Gospels. But I just want to spend some time this morning walking our way through this story slowly, contemplatively, thinking through each line, pausing to actually think about what's happening here. What is Jesus up to here? So the first line, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. The first thing we notice here is that Jesus is the main character. Let's not forget that. It's not Martha, it's not Mary, it's not what's happening in the house. Jesus is on his way somewhere. And we read just a chapter back in chapter 9 that he has been resolute. He has fixed his, his eyes on Jerusalem. He is heading to Jerusalem, to the place where the new exodus is going to happen, where he's going to deliver not just from Egypt now, but from sin, from death, as he goes to the cross. So they're on their way. And who are they? That's the disciples and Jesus. But at a certain point, the disciples are left out of the picture, if you hadn't noticed. They're no longer really in focus. It's now just Jesus. He enters the village. And a woman, a woman named Martha, welcomes him into her house. You know, this story starts off really well. You know, Jesus... If you hadn't noticed, Jesus doesn't do much camel riding. He doesn't do much sort of magic carpet riding. He doesn't do much anything other than on, on his feet. And so he's tired. You know, he's probably hungry. He's probably thirsty. He's in need of a place to drink and to rest. And this woman named Martha, we know her from other stories in the Gospels. She is a disciple. She knows who Jesus is. She's following Jesus, and she welcomes him in. She says, hey, Jesus, you need a drink? You need a place to rest? Take me. My home is available. The next line, and she had a sister called Mary. If Jesus is the central figure in the story, the second central figure is Martha. Martha. And Mary is actually quite passive in the story. 
She's central to the teaching of what comes out of the story, but she's passive. She doesn't say anything. It's just described that she's the sister of Martha. But here's the key line. She sits at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching. Now, I've always read the story and I've always heard the story as she looked up lovingly at Jesus, adoringly, just raptured by his presence. And that may be true. But you know, it's very important that we park up around what does it mean when someone was to sit at someone's feet in this time, in this culture? See, in this day and age, it was only a disciple that would sit at the feet of their master, of their rabbi. And it wasn't because they were kind of in in awestruck, oh, there's Justin Bieber, oh, wow. Um, It was that they were a student. And to sit at someone's feet was to intentionally say, I want to take upon me your teaching. And so this is scandalous. This is, for starters, a woman doing this. And this did not happen in this time. Women were not open in the day and in the age to be disciples. The other scandalous thing about this is that Mary wasn't actually really meant to set foot out of the kitchen or out of the unseen places of the home. And so here we have Mary adopting a scandalous position. She is saying, in the words of Tom Wright, Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. And so that in itself is, is pretty amazing. But then we get to the conflict of the story. So far we've just been in intro mode, setting the scene, introducing characters. Now we come to where there's a bit of conflict going on. It says, but... Mary, sorry, but Martha was distracted by much serving. Martha was distracted by much serving. You know, distraction, distraction is what gets Martha all off base. She loses her center. She loses who it was that she welcomed into her home. She starts losing sight of Jesus. And in the words of Richard Foster, distraction is the primary spiritual problem in our day. The internet, of course, did not cause this problem. People were distracted long before it came along. Like Martha, distracted. Eyes off who it was in her presence. And I tried to find a few pictures that just maybe brought to mind and more of a pictorial way for us. You know, Martha in the background, slaving away. Mary in the foreground, focused at the feet of her master. You see, this story is not essentially or primarily a story about being versus doing. It's a story about how serving can actually take us off the centre of our lives. It's a little glimpse into when serving Jesus distracts us from Jesus. As Mike Breen said, we're a group of people addicted to and obsessed 
with the work of the kingdom with little to no idea how to be with the king. Ouch! I can certainly see myself in that quote. And then the story goes on. And Martha went up to him, went up to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. <laughs> Let's not miss the irony in this little moment. Martha did once upon a time in this evening recognize Jesus as Lord. She opens up her home to him. But something's gone badly wrong to the point where she is now the master, she is now Lord, and she's telling Jesus what to do. Ever been there? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, Kim, your kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Martha is being the pushy, rushed, distracted servant. And you know, another story that comes to mind in the background for me as I think about this moment is the story of the prodigal son. You know, and this is the famous painting by Rembrandt. It's not actually very clear there, is it? But you see the, the father and the, the young son in the middle there where the, all the light is shining upon them. But then to the right is the older brother. And you know, he's the dutiful one. He's the one that has given years of tireless service to Jesus, well, to the father. And it's the younger son that, a little bit like Mary, just lost in abandonment. And the older son gets grumpy and starts to call the shots, starts to point out to the father, hey, I don't think you've got it quite right here. And it's really interesting, you know, it's this thing of almost skewed justice. Martha thinks that she can discern here what's going on, what's right, what's wrong with this picture. And just cares to take the time to point out to Jesus where he might have sort of got it wrong. But here's the second but of the story. And it's here that we find the beginnings of the resolution to the story. It says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. That phrase, Martha, Martha, in another version is, my dear Martha. You know, it's affectionate. Jesus doesn't turn around and get grumpy, as I tend to do if someone's grumpy to me. Just give it back to them. He says, Martha, Martha. You know, he's, he's almost grieving. You were anxious and troubled. You were anxious and troubled about many things. You know, in Matthew 6, what does Jesus say? Do not worry about the things of this world, what you eat, what you drink, what you'll wear. Seek first the kingdom. You know, and Jesus is saying only one thing is necessary. In the NLT version, it says there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Just one. 
Just one. And what is that one thing? Well, if we turn to the Psalms, Psalm 27 verse 4, it says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And we can read that as the presence of the Lord today. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, Jesus is just saying, you've got all these things, Martha. And all these things have distracted you from the main meal, the main thing. And what is this main thing? Well, he goes on. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And the good portion, many other places in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, the portion refers to, you know, the Lord is our portion. And what that means is fellowship, intimacy with with Jesus, with God, is really all we need. And he's saying, this won't be taken away from her, not just now, like I'm actually not going to do, surprise, surprise, what you're asking me to do, Martha. So I'm not only going to call her into just doing a whole lot of stuff, but it's also not going to be taken away from her for an eternity. You know, Mary has chosen something here that is not ever going to be taken away from her. So this story is not a story of, well, what do we all do? Do we go and be monks? Do we just give up the doing of life and just sit with Jesus adoringly? No. So that's the good news. You don't have to give up your day job, guys. This story is about discipleship. This story is about following Jesus. You know, in the time of this day, there was a popular saying among the Jewish community, and it went like this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. A little picture to sort of bring up that, that sense of that. You know, this was a dusty time. The dusty roads, no tar seal going on then. And so to follow Jesus to be covered in the dust, literally, but also metaphorically. No, we're meant to be covered in his way of life. Or to put it another way, we are to be apprentices of Jesus. I've been listening to a few different speakers now since about the last three years, I suppose, because I got to a place in life where this really hit me was that this one thing, what it's really all about, is that we be apprentices of Jesus. That we, like Mary, sit at the feet of our Lord. That we be immersed and covered in his dust and his teaching. But also that we learn the lifestyle of Jesus. And you know, a real central part of being an apprentice is to do time with the master. Is to do the hours with the one 
who we are following. And so really it's this idea of, of living with Jesus in our comings, in our goings, in our work, in our play, in our sleep, in our rest. Living with Jesus. And Jesus put it like this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, he can do nothing. This living with Jesus isn't about striving, more fruit, more fruit, Lord. It's just doing life with Jesus. And you know, we've got to go back in time for this particular illustration, but there was a man by the name of Brother Lawrence. And I didn't pick this at first, but I came to realize this was a really good illustration for this particular story of Mary and Martha. Because you know, this guy, he lived in the 17th century, so a long time back. And he was a monk, so he was one of those guys that was a little bit weird and would go away from all of society and live in a thing called a monastery. And this was a community of people that were giving their lives to the Lord and to his teaching. But you know, Brother Lawrence wasn't one of those academic types. He wasn't one of the ones who was, you know, penning the Bible. He wasn't one of the ones that was praying all day sort of in the lotus position. Do you know where Brother Lawrence was? He was in the kitchen. He was in the kitchen doing the dishes, preparing the food. And Brother Lawrence said a couple of lines that I just had to put up on the screen this morning. Firstly, he said, we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. And he also said, think often on God, by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. Leave him not alone. You see, in the story of Martha and of Mary, and in the story of our own lives, it's not God who leaves us. It tends to be us that leave God. Wandering off to the kitchen, getting distracted, getting busy eyes of Jesus. But Brother Lawrence came to realize that it wasn't the doings that had to be a distraction, that in each and every moment he could continually talk to God, he could continually think on God and about God. I wonder for you this morning, what might that look like? in your day-to-day -day life to do it with Jesus. To know that he is with you. His promise is he never leaves you nor forsakes you. But how do you, and you know yourself better than anyone, how do you perhaps forsake him, leave him alone in your doings of life? To end this morning, I just want to float out three thoughts around how we might cultivate this, this living with Jesus 
just a little bit better. And the first thing is we need to see Jesus. Lately I've been reading this book called Seeing is Believing by Greg Boyd. And it's a really good read because it's, it's really thrown up an area for me that I haven't thought much about. And the key sort of theme of the book is we don't spend enough time imagining God with us. We don't engage the imagination enough. And he says this, The way to focus our minds in prayer, therefore, is to picture mentally the one to whom we pray and the matter about which we pray. Like we did right at the beginning, just closing your eyes and, and hearing that story, but picturing yourself in the story, picturing yourself maybe as one of the characters, and then beginning to picture Jesus. And it doesn't really matter whether you've got a white Jesus, a black Jesus, a brown Jesus. That's, that's peripheral. What matters is how he speaks to you, how he moves, how he interacts. How does he see you? You know, when you look at Jesus looking at you, what does that look like? What does that feel like? You know, in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, he uses eyes intentionally there. Now, we are to cultivate this rich, imagination life around Jesus, who he is to us. Secondly, let us hear Jesus. Let us hear Jesus. This time it's moved from the eyes to the ears. You know, and Jesus himself says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is about getting familiar with the sound of God. And make no mistake, because God is spirit, this is not audible voice necessarily, or most likely. But this is learning to hear the still, small voice of God. To hear the whispers of the spirit as we go about our day. And lastly, to obey Jesus. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The one that puts my words into practice. I think sometimes we're forsaking God by not doing the last thing he told us to do. And we actually can't have anyone else telling us what that is. We know that in the heart of our hearts, in that inner man. We know what he's told us if we've been hearing his voice. And obedience is really saying, Jesus, I trust you. As your apprentice, I've been watching you do it for a while now. I've been seeing how you do it. 
just like you did with the Father. Nothing I do on my own. I do only what I see my Father doing. I've been, I've been doing that with you, Jesus. And I've been learning to hear your voice. And now I step out. And I trust that your words are the words of life and that they only bring life to me. As Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and life to its fullness. And so this morning, what is God saying to you? I just want you to close your eyes. To just be still for a few more moments. Where are you on this walk of apprenticeship to Jesus? Maybe you've been watching Jesus from afar. You've been interested, you might say. Maybe you've just been a casual onlooker to this Jesus. Maybe you've actually been doing this walk for some time. But lately, you've been caught up in the many things that actually don't matter in the end. Caught up in making a meal for Jesus, but forgetting Jesus in the process. Wherever you're at this morning, Just hear Jesus for yourself in a moment of stillness. Come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, speak to us about the step, about the movement that you want us to make going forward this day. Maybe it's to see you more. Maybe it's to hear you more. Maybe it's to put into practice what we've heard from you. Maybe it's to say yes. Yes to you for the first time. To say, Jesus, I don't understand all of this, but I trust you. Thank you, Lord, that you're always speaking. And may you continue to speak to us as a community. In your name we pray. Amen.